Um, if you're not aware, we have been uh, beginning a series, and we've entitled this series, Ordinary People, Extraordinary God. And we've been looking at some of the biblical characters. Maybe you heard of some of them in school or Sunday school or uh, as you have grown up or if you've ever heard any Bible stories. Uh, But we've been looking at the fact that every person who achieved the things that we think of as great things within Scripture uh, were people who simply were ordinary people but with an extraordinary God. When it comes to doing great things, You, like me, would probably say, why would God choose me? But the pages of Scripture tell us, why not? Because God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God's kingdom does work in what might seem like an upside-down way. And that which is weak, God will make strong. That which is foolish, God will make strong. Why? So as we explore these biblical characters, why God chose them, why God worked with them, we want ourselves to serve the Lord faithfully with humility and obedience and faith. Uh, and we uh, will grow as we grow in those things, those, those values, as we grow in living with humility and faith, then we will see God do great things. Whether we think it's like the, the giant slaying acts of David or uh, the, the mighty miracles that we see in scripture, God will do great things, even if it seems like it's not one of those mighty things. God does anything in your life, then it is a great thing. God uses you to speak his truth into anybody else's life. If God enables you to overcome your feelings uh, of, of uh, inability to love somebody and actually enables you to do that. It's a great thing. Whatever it is that God speaks to us to do, We want to do great things. Amen? There will be no prizes for guessing who today's character is. All together now. I close my eyes, drew back the curtain to see for certain. What? Okay, there, yeah, okay. We'll stop there. We'll stop there. Uh, the first one was quite good, but the second one, you'd lost, you'd lost the enthusiasm. So my apologies. Well, yes, we are looking at a character in the scriptures called Joseph. And there are 13 people in the Bible with the name Joseph, apparently. Last time I spoke, about, last time I spoke it was about Joseph. But that Joseph was the husband of Mary and the adopted father of Jesus. And so today, I'm speaking about what I'm going to call the other Joseph, Um, just to distinguish between the Joseph that I spoke about last time. Um, But this should probably be the original Joseph. Uh, The Joseph that we uh, spoke about last time should probably be the other one. Just to clarify one or two little things about this story, some of the things that we may uh, immediately, our minds may go to, especially after the picture that I've just shown you up on the screen. I regret to inform you, answers Andrew Lloyd Webber and Timothy Rice, that Joseph's coat may not have been technicolored. It may not have even been colored. It may not have had any multicoloredness. I know I'm, 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 I'm shattering some illusions and, and uh, I don't want to, you know, make you sad at the start of today's talk. But the reality is, if you go back to what we can find or what we know of the original Hebrew text of this passage, they don't mention the colors. 
The, the, the idea of the many colors actually comes from a Greek translation of the Hebrew where they've taken um, a Hebrew word or Hebrew phrase that's a little bit ambiguous um, and they've, they've interpreted that and said a coat of many colors. And it may have been a coat of many colors. And if you want to continue in your, uh, in your, 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 your importance of that within this story, then you may. It may have been that it was many colors. But the point is this. The point of the coat for you and I is not that it had many colors. Uh, and unfortunately, the play probably uh, focuses too much on the, the, <laughs> the many colors of the coat. The point of the idea of the coat is that that coat uh, was ornate. And it signified the Father's favor. And so if you're familiar with the story, you, uh, and if you're not familiar, then, then hopefully I'll try and build some of the picture of this story for you as I speak through some of the passages this morning. The point of that coat is that it was ornate and it signified the Father's favor. So the Joseph that we're talking about is the Joseph who I would describe as the beloved son of Jacob. Uh, Jacob in the Bible, if you are aware of the story, uh, is given a new name by God and his name becomes Israel and therefore that's the name of the nation, the name of the people of God throughout the Old Testament under that banner from his uh, fatherhood, from, from Jacob, became the people of Israel and he was the, uh, the dad of the Joseph that we're talking about today. And we're going to start uh, with a, just one verse here from Genesis and verse 37, where it gives us a very early indication of where this story is going. And it gives us an important detail that we've alluded to in terms of the Technicolor coat. Uh, if you would be happy to, read, let's read this verse together. Uh, it's up on the screen. If you're able to read it, please do it. If you can't, then that's no problem at all. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. Jacob saw Joseph as a special blessing because he was the firstborn of his sons from his wife, Rachel. Rachel was his second wife. Things were a bit different. We're not going to go into all of that this morning. But Joseph had more than, um, Jacob had more than one wife. Um, and there had actually been a little bit of, um, it had been a bit, bit strange how he'd, how he'd ended up marrying his first wife. But Rachel was his second wife, and she was his true love. And so Joseph was the firstborn son to Rachel. Uh, and that meant that Joseph had a very, uh, Jacob had a very special place in his heart for Joseph. Joseph was born after years of barrenness in Rachel and therefore was treated as a special son. And this beloved son was going to, uh, sorry, spoiler alert, but this is how the story goes. This beloved son was going to be lost and left for dead. And uh, for, to all intents and purposes, his family would believe for years that he had died, and yet he was going to rise from that place, and he was going to redeem Israel. Who does that sound like? Sounds like Jesus. And we're going to see this, the idea of Jesus threaded throughout this story of Joseph. Jo uh, Joseph. Let's Let's, let's start with the obvious thing. Let's start with what we know about Joseph from the story and from the play. Joseph was a dreamer. Joseph was given dreams by God and he 
was also, as we find out later on in the story, a dream interpreter. But we see in verse 5, simply says this. Joseph had a dream. Now we know that that dream was one that was later going to be proven to have uh, been come true in a certain way, but it was a dream that you might want to keep to yourself rather than share it with the other people in it. Because in this dream, the long and the the short of the story is that the, the, the culmination of this dream is that his brothers are all bowing down to him. Now, are there any older siblings in the room? Any Anybody who's an older sibling? How do you feel about your sibling coming to you and letting you know that one day you will be bowing down to them? How do we feel about that? I don't think we're very happy about this idea. <laughs> and uh, this is a story that Joseph... Um, this is a, the dream that Joseph had. Uh, and Joseph actually, what he'd been given, he was actually given a prophetic insight. and wasn't going to be understood. The fulfillment of it wasn't going to be seen until much, much later. But in these dreams, God was genuinely speaking to Joseph. Uh, and later, we understand that he was able to, uh, to interpret dreams. And because of that gifting and because of his faithfulness and because of the, the, the right way that he conducted himself in difficult circumstances, he rose to become Pharaoh's vizier or his prime minister, his, his, his right-hand person uh, for, for making decisions and, and ruling in Egypt. Now, that, there wasn't a much more powerful position on the planet than that. And this was partly coming from Joseph's ability that that God had given him to understand dreams, to dream himself, and to understand dreams. But from a place of being a servant and a slave, which is where Joseph uh, did find himself previously in Egypt, he was to rise to a place of authority. Uh, During his time in Egypt, he found himself in prison. We'll mention more about why that happened Uh, later on. But whilst he was in prison, um, he actually served faithfully and was given almost a sense of authority in the prison. But there was a couple of characters who had had some troubling dreams whilst they were in uh, the prison with him. Uh, And they had shared their dreams with him. And to their astonishment, Joseph had been able to interpret their dreams. And what Joseph had said would happen is exactly what happened. So later in the story, in Genesis 41, which is a verse we're going to read in just a second, these uh, these characters now explain to Pharaoh, who has had a troubling dream, Pharaoh, the ruler of all of Egypt, most powerful person probably in the world at the time, uh, he'd had a troubling dream. And he wanted to try and get some... So he called for all of his wizards and all of his people who had... Uh, who who seemed to have some kind of spiritual insight, and none of them could interpret this dream for him. So these characters say, well, hang on a minute. Whilst we were imprisoned, there was this guy, he was a Hebrew, and he was able to interpret our dreams, and and it it happened exactly as as it was said. So here we are in Genesis 41. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted. Later on, Pharaoh calls for Joseph. Joseph comes. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. 
And uh, Pharaoh then, a few verses down, says this. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. From a slave who had been imprisoned to the one to whom everybody would be listening to his orders. Joseph had been forced against his will, against his choice, into his years of suffering. But we have a Christ Jesus who chose to empty himself and become the least of all and to become the servant of all and come even to the point of washing his disciples' feet. And Christ is now seated in the highest heavenly authorities. Above every authority, Jesus Christ is seated. Uh, And we're told in Philippians 2, familiar passage to many of us, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. Amen? Jesus what, what happened with Joseph being a slave, being sold into slavery, um, being wrongly accused? There are so many things that we can look at Joseph and understand how it gives us a picture of how Jesus was later to become our Redeemer. But Jesus does so in an even more perfect way. He chose to come and to rescue us. But the fact that we can learn about Joseph being a dreamer is this. God wants to work in and through you for his plans and his purposes. He might give you a dream. And if you would love God to give you a dream and to speak to you through dreams, I would encourage you, why not ask him? Why not pray? Why not ask God to do that for you? I'm not promising you that that's going to be the way that God will speak to you. God speaks to us in so many different ways. He speaks to us through other people. He speaks to us through prophecy. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through creation. God can speak to us in so many different ways. But it might be that he wants to give you a dream. But whether or not he wants to give you a dream, he has a specific plan and a purpose that he wants to see you fulfilled. He wants to uh, enable you. And, you know, we, we think about dreams even if we're not thinking about literal dreams. God wants to put dreams in your heart, ideas of things that he would do in and through you. And it might look differently to you than it does to anybody else. But God is a personal God. He wants to walk, walk and talk uh, and enable and equip individuals. For Joseph, it was dreams. But we need to be ready and willing to hear what God might be saying. From this book, uh, which is called Living the Dream by David Smith, who's a pastor over in England, um, uh, he says this, Contrary to the catchy title theme of Joseph and his Technicolor dream coat, any dream won't do. Instead, we need a God dream. We need a God vision. We need to connect with what God has conceived and dreamt for our life. Get to grips with what God wants for you, what God is saying to you, what God wants you to do. The next thing we're going to notice about Joseph is that he was not the most wise in his younger years. Told you already about the dream that he had. Well, here we go. Verse 9. Then he had another dream. And what did he do? He told it to his brothers again. (laughs) Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Now Joseph did not get a good response the first time he shared his dream with his brothers. So 
I think there was a little bit of a lack of exercising of wisdom in the sharing of the second dream with his brothers. And that led to some of how the story was going to unfold. The, the truth is this, the, the dreams were real. They were genuine. This was going to come to pass. This was something that God had given him. But he showed some naivety and lack of wisdom. And through that, he alienated himself even more from his brothers and from this time also his father and his mother, which could be interpreted as the sun and the moon. The, the, the wider family and, and his father rebukes him after this dream. But it's an interesting thing because it says Jacob rebuked uh, Joseph, but he kept what he'd said in his heart or in his mind. He kept in mind the things that Joseph has said. So Jacob perhaps had some kind of sense that maybe this beloved son of mine could be, but I, I don't want to accept this right now. And so he rebuked him. Uh, he didn't learn in the immediate, but perhaps he did later. The next thing to look at about Joseph was that he was hated and rejected. Back to verse 37. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they, all, they hated him all the more. Now, just within the context of understanding that this family... <laughs> is the family that began the nation of Israel. Joseph was from quite a dysfunctional family. <laughs> there was a lot going on in this family. And his brothers from other mothers really did not like him. Scripture tells us that they could not find a kind word. Now, me and my sister, when we were younger... Oh my goodness, would we fight over the chair by the fire. The fire was the source of heat in our house. I know it sounds like I'm from many moons ago. But in our house, the, the, the open fire that we had, that was, where, that was the source of heat. So, uh, and it also happened to have the best view of the television. So um, we, would, we would scrap and fight. And uh, then came the years when she took advantage of me and sent me to the sweet shop and allowed me to buy a penny sweet while I, while I bought her a 30p chocolate bar. You know, that kind of thing. But I'm not, I'm not bitter. I'm not twisted. I, I've, I've forgiven and I am over all of this. Me and my sister, uh, we have a great relationship. Uh, we're, we're great friends. Uh, and uh, we're, very, we're very special to each other. Uh, but even during those years of, of, of sibling rivalries and having, you know, those struggles and literally fighting over a chair, there would be times where we could find a kind word for each other. And maybe that's the case for you. Maybe that's not in your situation. But in most sibling relationships, there's rivalry, there's pain, there's difficulty, there's falling out. But we can usually find a kind word. But Joseph's brothers, they couldn't even find a kind word to say about their brother. He knew what it was to be hated. He knew what it was to be rejected. And those brothers were jealous of him as the favorite son of their father. And that's what leads to Joseph ending up being exiled in Israel. But it starts worse. The, 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 the first thought that came to the minds of, their brothers, of his brothers was to kill him. Genesis 37 verse 19, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him. Speaking as a sibling, I'm not sure I ever reached that point in reality. 
<laughs> we all have moments, don't we, where we, we think things. <laughs> but I, we, I never reached that point in reality, but this was, there was no denying that this was real. These brothers, they really hated their brother. They wanted to kill him. The story goes on, and they stripped him of his robe, and they took him, and they said, let's not have blood on our hands. And one of the brothers, Reuben, stands up and, and, and sort of tries to retrieve the situation. says, let's not, let's not actually kill him. Let's just leave him in a cistern and the idea was, or in a pit. And the idea was that he was going to go back to that pit and find him later on. But they did. They took him. And to all intents and purposes, apart from Reuben, who had that in mind to go back and rescue him, they were leaving him for dead. As far as they were concerned, they were leaving him for dead. Joseph had no idea that Reuben had in mind to go. We know the story unfolds and it, and it goes down a different road. They don't leave him for dead in the end. But um, Joseph had no idea that Reuben was going to go back for him. So he, he just was in that pit believing that his brothers just wanted to kill him. and just wanted him to be dead. Despite the foolish behavior and the young naivety, the pain of this rejection was brutal and I forgot to finish that sentence, but it, it, could, you could, it could be many things that we say. It was painful. It was horrendous to be so hated by your own family. Jesus was favored by the Father. He was loved. We see that when he was baptized and, and, and the Holy Spirit depends like, descends like a dove and a voice from heaven comes and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And there were, of course, some humans that loved and walked with Jesus. But humankind rejected. He became one of us. He became our kin. He became our family. He took on human flesh. And yet we rejected him and hated him to the point where we crucified him and put him upon a cross. We share with all mankind the responsibility for what happened to Jesus. And Acts 4 verse 11 describes Jesus as the stone the builders rejected. Jesus, just like Joseph, had to go through this pain of rejection, this pain of hatred, in order to achieve a greater purpose. Something else, and this is another parallel with Jesus. Joseph was exiled in Egypt. Does that sound like a familiar story as we, as we think about the scriptural journey? The people of Israel later on were exiled in Egypt. Joseph, it tells us in Genesis 39, had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Just to fill in a bit of the story, the brothers uh, saw some Ishmaelites coming, some, some people from another nation coming, and they said, well, hang on a minute, if we leave him in that pit, we don't get anything out of this. But if we sell him to those Ishmaelites into slavery, then we can get something out of this. So uh, it's part of God's sovereign plan, but, but in the heart of those brothers was purely selfish motivation. And uh, they sell, so they sell him to these Ishmaelites, and he ends up, being, uh, ends up in Egypt and being uh, sold into Potiphar's house and uh, into Potiphar's uh, situation and becomes a slave uh, and then builds his way up from there. Okay, this idea of being exiled in Egypt is part of the big picture of God's people throughout history. 
And now we can understand ourselves in a way as those who uh, are actually citizens of a kingdom of heaven as exiles ourselves. In a sense, there's, a, there's an Egypt about the way that we live on this earth. We are subject to uh, certain things on this earth that we will not be one day when we uh, receive and inherit the heavenly reality that we're going we're gonna to have one day, whether Jesus returns or whether we go to be with him. Amen? But the nation of Israel were exiled in Egypt for over 400 years. And Jesus and his family themselves were exiled in Egypt when he was a child. In Matthew 2, uh, uh, often a Christmas story, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. He said, get up. This is the other Joseph, by the way. Not the Joseph we're talking about. This is, this is Joseph, the son of Jesus, the, the father of Jesus. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. We see another little parallel between Joseph and Jesus. Joseph was tested and tempted, but he resisted temptation and trusted God in the trial. This is where we understand how Joseph ended up in prison. It was a complete injustice. Basically, Potiphar's wife had taken a shine to Joseph. And she did everything she could to try and seduce him. It says this in Genesis 39. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. And though she spoke to Joseph every day, she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. But there did come a point where he ended up in a compromising situation where she had basically cornered him. And as he made a deliberate decision to run away from that temptation and to run away from that situation, she grabbed his coat and then was able later to falsely accuse him of attacking her and trying to go to bed with her. Joseph resisted the seduction in that situation and the people-pleasing and because he understood the consequences of sin. He resisted every kind of temptation. Um, in that scenario. And Jesus also has resisted every kind of temptation, overcoming his testing in the wilderness. And the thing I want us to understand from this is that we should not equate a time of testing, trial, or temptation with God's absence or with God's punishment. On the contrary, this which Joseph was going through was that which was going to enable him to achieve what God had for him to do for the people. And so can be said of Jesus. Jesus went through the temptation and the trial that he did in order to achieve our salvation. So Joseph was imprisoned for a sin he did not commit. I'm going to rush through uh, where we are now. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. Joseph was going through the great test, but he didn't sulk or reject God in spite of the injustice. His faithfulness in that season opens up the door for him to rise and gain authority. He gained authority within the prison first, and then he gained authority uh, with uh, Pharaoh afterwards. And Jesus died a sinner's death upon a cross, despite being without sin, and became our redemption. And Joseph became the gracious redeemer of his people. The story goes on, and sometime later, there's famine in Israel, and they go to Egypt desperate. And then, lo and behold, when they come to Egypt, and they come 
to ask for mercy before the prime minister of Egypt. Who do they find? They didn't recognize him, but it was their brother, Joseph. Joseph, it says in Genesis 46, said to his brothers, I will go up and speak to Pharaoh and I will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who are living in the land of Canaan have come to me. He's revealed himself to them. His family come to Egypt and he is able to provide for them and be a rescue and a refuge. He rescued them from famine and ensured they were provided for. An interesting thing during that story is that Judah, who becomes the father of the line of David, who we know is the line of Jesus, offers himself in place of Benjamin when Joseph says, uh, I want you to bring the other brother. Uh, And just another little picture from that line of Jesus of sacrifice. Because Jesus is our redeemer and he's rescued us from sin and death and into the fullness of life. The final thing that I want us to note about Joseph is this. He trusted God with the bigger picture. In Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews tells us this. By faith, Joseph, when, he, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Joseph wanted his bones to be, when the people of Israel were to return to the land that God had promised them, Joseph wanted his bones to go with them because he understood with the eyes of faith that there was a bigger picture. And although he wasn't going to see that return to Israel himself, he looked ahead by faith to the day when Israel would be in the promised land. You and I can look ahead with faith through Jesus to know the shalom fullness that we will one day know when the fullness of the kingdom of heaven is ours. I wonder what future dream you're willing to entrust your bones to this morning. What is it that you can see in the bigger picture of what God is doing? Because God might ask you to do something today knowing that you will never see the fulfillment of what it really means. We can do something small that feels like a mustard seed, not realizing that one day it can move a mountain. I say God will do great things. It may not look like a giant slaying, but God will do great things as we trust him. And Dave, because that is what is picked up in Hebrews, of everything else that the Hebrew writer could have said about Joseph, about all the things that he did, um, this book again says this, apparently greater than his dreams, his ability to forgive, his strength against uh, sexual temptation, his patience in prison, his interpretation of dreams, his rule of Egypt, his reconciliation with his brothers, his serving of his family and his saving of Egypt was Joseph's faith for the future of his bones. What God intended to use to harm, what the enemy intended to use to harm Joseph, the Lord used for good. Genesis 50, Joseph said to his brothers and his family, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What the enemy intended to harm through seeing Jesus hanging upon a cross has brought about the salvation of mankind. We are blessed because of that which Jesus went through. God is at work behind the scenes in spite of the circumstances. 
Joseph's journey meant salvation and redemption and provision for God's people. Jesus is our salvation, our redemption and our provision today. It's all about Jesus. I want to say to you this morning, God chooses you. I know it's warm. We've been here for a long time. I'm sorry. But I do just want you to allow God to speak to you in these last couple of moments. God chooses you. Don't rule yourself out because you've been rejected. Don't rule yourself out because you've been hated or because you've been mistreated. Do not rule yourself out because of the mistakes, the naivety of your past. Do not rule yourself out because you are going through a time of testing today. Take hold of the dreams that God has given or is giving you. Remain faithful and righteous in the times of testing. And keep the bigger picture and perspective of God's plans and purposes for you. Let's pray. Please, if you're happy to, just close your eyes. And I want to pray for some specific people this morning. These are the people I'm going to pray for. Firstly, if you want God to give you his dreams and his plans for your life and what he wants you to do and who he wants you to be. Secondly, if you're going through a time of temptation or trial. And then thirdly, if you need the salvation that God is offering you in Jesus today. So first of all, if you want God to give you his dreams and plans, just while our eyes are closed, just pray along with me. Lord God, would you speak to me? Would you show me who you are and who I am in you and what you want me to do for you? Lord, give me dreams and visions. Let me hear your voice. Show me, Lord, so that I can rise and be faithful to the call that you place on my life. Amen. If you are going through a time of great trial or temptation or difficulty, tribulation of any kind, let's pray now together. Lord, we fix our eyes on you. We see that our Savior, Jesus Christ, went through the greatest trial. Death upon a cross, a sinner's death yet being without sin. Jesus, if you can endure that for us, we commit to fixing our eyes on you and enduring what it is that we're dealing with today. We want to be faithful to you in the midst and in spite of the circumstances we face. And finally, if you have never received the salvation that Jesus offers, then this morning might be the best time for you to do that. If you've never come to that place of realizing who he is and making him your Lord and you feel the Holy Spirit is revealing that and, and, and showing that to you today, I just invite you to lift your hand so that I can acknowledge that and we can pray a prayer that helps you to begin that journey of walking with Jesus. Is there anybody that wants to uh, pray that prayer and start that journey this morning? Okay, that's fine. There's nobody in the room. There may be somebody who wants to speak with myself or someone else in the leadership team more and find out about that. There may be somebody tuning in online as well. Please get in touch. There's nothing that would give us more joy than to lead you in that. Lord, help us all to live and walk in that salvation that you give. To know you, to walk with you, and to achieve what you want for us. We bless your name. Thank you for being with us today. Amen. Amen.